I was reading some quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. I wanted to go back, and I wanted to see some of the things he said in the early days of that civil rights movement that was honestly needed and so effective. But I wanted to see specifically what he said about the church, because Martin Luther King Jr., his movement, that movement grew out of the local church. It was a church rising up. And here's what he said. The church must be reminded that it is the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state. He went on to say, if the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. Powerful words spoken by Martin Luther King, Jr. And I began to think about that thought, the conscience of the state. And I wondered, what would happen if I would take that thought and I would lay it over the Word of God and begin to look at stories and experiences in the Bible of those heroes of the faith? And I came to the guy, the prophet, Elijah. And I want to take you there, 1 Kings chapter 4, or 17 and verse 1. Now let me set up the stage a little bit. Israel has gone away from the Lord. The prophet Elijah comes and he confronts the king. He lets the king, Ahab, know that God is not happy. And he says this to the king. Elijah said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now that's when you know you have a real prophet of God. He said, King, God is upset you've forsaken the commandments. There's going to be a drought on the land, and we're going to learn later that that drought lasted three and a half years. He said, I'm going to let you know God is going to bring something to this nation to make it uncomfortable so that you return unto the Lord. There is a pattern in the Word of God where God blesses, we forget His blessings. God corrects, we repent, God blesses. Have you noticed that cycle in your life? I mean, all is, boy, God is just blessing, and then you begin to take things for granted. You kind of get a little bit easy in your, in your Christian walk, your life, and you think, man, I got it now, and you forget the Lord. You forget the importance of following after him. You forget the importance of prayer, Bible reading, church, all those things, because you think you've got it. Oh, I got that. And then all of a sudden you don't know it because little by little you're slipping into a, a, a mode of complacency in your own life, your spiritual life. And then all of a sudden God brings something to your life and he kind of corrects you and you go, oh, maybe I better go pray. And then that prayer brings you back into the blessings of God. That's where God wants you to stay. And part of maturity is coming to the place to where you have its longer periods of time between your periods of complacency. In other words, maturity is you're walking with God on a daily basis, not just once a week or once a month. So you're living under the flow, under the power of God in your daily life. So you get up in the morning and go, this is the day the Lord has made, and today I'm going to love the Lord, today I'm going to serve the Lord, today I'm going to read the Word of God, I'm going to ask God, how can you use me, speak through me today? And if you make that your daily routine, guess what? God is going to honor that. God is going to bless you in an amazing way. Instead of getting up, man, I'm so busy today. I've got to rush. I've got to go to work. got to go to school. got to do whatever. And then at the end of the day, go, man, it's been a horrible day. Oh, forgot the Lord. 
I forgot the Lord. Well, what happened? First Kings, let me take you forward in the story of Ahab. First Kings chapter 18. Ahab, the king, saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Now, why did he say that? Because there was a drought in the land, and he knew Elijah had brought it on the land. So now all of a sudden, they're suffering. Ahab says, it's your fault. It's your fault. Have you, have you noticed there's people that are pointing the finger saying, it's your fault? Right? You're, it's your fault that you, we wouldn't be in this mess if, if we just didn't love America. We wouldn't be in this mess if you didn't love God. We wouldn't be in this mess if you just taught certain things in school or used certain pronouns and certain words and descriptors of people. Then we wouldn't be in this mess. He says, is this you that troubler? And look what he said. And he answered and said, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house have, and in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. What was the problem? The problem was they had forsaken the commandments of the Lord. And he followed after the Baals. Now, these are the false gods. These, they, they put up the idols they put up, and they serve these Baals. And therefore, uh, now send and gather all of Israel with me to Mount Carmel and 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Ashereth who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, what's he doing? He's having a showdown. He said, we're going to go ahead and do a little contest between your God and the true God. We're going to lay it all on the line. You know what faith is? Faith is walking on the borderline of disaster that if God doesn't come through, you're going to fall through the ice. You're going to fail. That's what faith is. Faith is not a calculated risk that you take. Faith is really getting out on the edge and saying, I want to see God do something in my life. I want to see God do something in my world. I want to see God do something in my school, in my community, in my family. And you just keep going down through it. And this is what I believe in God to do. That's what faith is. God doesn't want this kind of faith. You know, you know a lot of faith is high-level begging. You know, it's just, dear God, I just pray that you will, and you're, in, you're around some, some people, let's say, that can provide what, whatever you need. God, I just pray that you're just going to move somebody. You know, and you're doing the preschool look. You know what, in the prayer, you know, you do the preschool look, see who's listening. And God, I just hope they hear me now. Lord, just send your spirit and just move them right now. You know what I found out? God doesn't need high-level begging. You see, prayer moves the hand of God. When you pray, you move the hand of God. The Bible says there are vials, golden vials in heaven, and it says they are the prayers of the saints. And my theory on this is that when we fill up those golden vials, that they overflow, and that's when answers come. If prayer is just therapeutic, then why would we do it? Prayer has to have some power. It has to have some meaning. When you pray, you should expect God is going to do what you pray. And if you're praying the wrong thing, you can expect the Holy Spirit will correct your course. Because prayer has a self-purifying effect in your life. When you pray for the wrong thing for too long, you, you, you realize it because you're trying to seek God. And he goes, and you, go, you know, that really wasn't what I needed. But God showed you what you needed. So what do we do? What's some practical things we can pull out of this? First thing is, how do you deal with false accusation? If you haven't been, you will be accused falsely by someone of something. How are you going to deal with it? 
You notice what Elijah did. He pointed right back to the Lord. He pointed right back to what was going on. He redirected the issue. He said, the issue is not me. The issue is not the drought. The issue is that you and your father's health have departed the command from the commandments of the Lord, and you got to bring that back. you got to get back to God. Do you know how many of your problems that you're dealing with right now, if you're dealing with any, I'm going to assume you are, some of you, amen, do you not realize how many of those could go away today if you would just return to the Lord? That's all. It's really simple. This is not complicated. It'll save you calling all your friends going, what am I going to do? No, you just go back to the Lord. Just say, God, I want to I come under your authority. I want to come under your spirit. I want to come under your direction. I want the word of God to be full and rich in me. See, the word of God is living and active. Amen? It's, more, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides the division of your spirit and your soul. Just like the bone and the marrow is divided, it divides it and it shows the true intentions of the heart. So what happens when I get in the Word of God? I get in the Word of God, I start reading it, I go, oh, that's me. Guilty. Oh, safe on that one. Guilty. Whoops, got too many guilties coming here. Need to be in the Word of God more, Amen. But that's what it does. So it, it, it just, it livens you up so you go like, oh, man, I love God. I love God. Have you ever been reading the Word of God and you go like, no, I just hate reading the Word of God? No. Have you ever not been reading the Word of God and go, I don't have time to read the Word of God? Yeah. I've had those moments. And I'm a pastor. It's kind of like my job. It's like a carpenter with a saw. I got to go saw something i got to read the Word of God. And I'll say, I, I just don't know if I have time right now, but, and then God just kind of impresses on me, read the Word of God. I start reading the Word of God, and this is so good. I was going to read five minutes. Next thing I know, it's an hour. Why? Because he's feeding. The Word of God is feeding my spiritual soul, right? And I'm growing from the inside out spiritually so that now when stuff comes against me from the outside, I've got the strength to fight against it because I've got his word embedded in my very soul. Another thing you do is you identify the real problem. You know, people are typically not your problem. They are a problem, but they're not your problem. Had a really interesting moment. There was an interview going on, and I won't tell you with who, but General Flynn was sitting there, and this guy was griping about something. He was complaining about something, and, and I could tell... You know, when you got a three-star general sitting there, he probably doesn't deal with a lot of whiners. You know what I mean? Are, are you with me on this one? I mean, my dad was a colonel, and I got no leverage, and I'm thinking a three-star general, this guy's like serious. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, drop it. It's enough. Get over it. Get over it. Get over it. And finally, he looked at me and go, hey, buddy, don't let your problem be my problem. You know, there's something about a three-star general pointing his finger at you and saying that. I just said, I don't have any problems, General. I just, I'm good. <laughs> Second thing that's really important is just to believe God. Now, that might seem like just such a simple statement, but it's so true. Ask yourself when you're going through things in life, do I believe God in this situation? Am I believing in God? Or am I going, God, where are you? See, that's not belief in God. That's questioning God and whether God is intervening in your life in that particular moment. Just say, I'm just going to believe God. Are things getting better? Doesn't matter. I'm believing God. Has God given you a word? Nope. I'm just believing God. Well, has anybody else told? Nope. I'm just believing God. I'm just going to believe God. Sink or swim, do or die, I'm going to believe 
God. Just say it with me. Believe God. Now let's do a confession. I am going to believe God. All right, now that settles it, amen? All right. Yeah, put your hands together. That's a, that's a clap-worthy moment. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 20, 21, and 24. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel. Now let me take you back to the story. He said, go get all those pagan worshipers of Baal. Bring them up here on Mount Carmel, and I'm going to meet you there. So he said he gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel, and Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. In other words, make up your mind. You know what a real decision is? A real decision is when you don't have any other options. You know what confuses most people? I got so many options, I don't know what to do. Eliminate them all but one. This is really simple. I got so many open doors. Close a few. You can't make a decision when you have too many opportunities and too many doors open. The one door is always going to be, I'm going to believe God. That's my door. I'm going to go through that door, and I'm going to see what God has for me. You know that 90% of the plans I've made have never come to fruition? I set these lofty goals, these wonderful things. They never happen. What I found is that God directs my steps. Many are the plans of men, but God directs the steps, right? What happens if, if you walk in the Spirit of God, you're going to have more stuff come to you that God's going to bring you that's going to exceed the goals you have. Every one of my goals that I had, God has exceeded in different ways because he took me down the journey he wanted me to be on. And when God begins to get involved in your life, it's like, you know what faith is? Faith is like throwing something out there in the future, and then you get to walk into it. That's faith. You see, planning is, okay, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? It's just work. It's work. When God gets involved in your life, it's not work. He takes all that off and just say, God, I need you to do something. I, I heard some testimonies yesterday from the Moms of America. Wow. I said, I said months ago, I said, you want to fix this country? Get a bunch of moms angry. Amen? Ain't nothing tougher than a mom. My dad was a colonel in the Army, and he was afraid of my mom. I remember one time I, my grandmother, she was about 450 pounds, stood about five foot tall. Now, that doesn't seem like a mobile woman, right? You know what I'm hearing about? I said something smart to her. I was about eight years old, and she took off running after me, and I mean, I rolled under the bed to get away from her. She got the broom, the bristle part, and started jabbing me <laughs> till I came out of there, and then she gave me, you know, a peace of mind, like, if you ever say that to me again, you know, it's going to be worse, and I believed her. Moms are the key to America, I believe it. They're just going to take control of situations. But I heard testimonies of, of moms who said, I didn't know what to do, but I took the first step. And next thing you know, resources started coming. People started coming. Opportunities started coming. And things began to change. I heard the mama bears. Did you see these two ladies? you got to watch this on the rerun. Uh, the two mama these two gals from Iowa, They'd had all they could take. The one little girl got a staph infection from wearing the mask. She said, I, and she tried to get, get them to change, so they did. They said, okay, yeah, she doesn't have to wear the mask, but they put her in a plexiglass uh, cubicle in her classroom, and she couldn't play with anybody on the playground. 
Now think of what that psychologically does to an eight-year-old. And they said, we've had all we can take. So here's what they did. They took some steps, and guess what they got changed in the whole state of Iowa is no public or federal uh, government facility will require masks. That means no schools will have masks. These are two ladies. Wait, it gets better. They said, you know, we're not done here yet. We're tired that we can't say the Pledge of Allegiance. They got the governor somehow to change the law, and they do the Pledge of Allegiance in school in Iowa today. You know why? Because some moms got mad. You see, you can't just sit around and go, isn't it awful? Isn't it terrible? Somebody should do something. No, you got to go, I'm going to do something. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to get in the fight. Amen? And it's fighting for our children. You know, people say, why are you doing all this American faith stuff? I'll tell you why. Because I got three children, I got seven grandchildren, and I got more coming probably. <laughs> I'm going to be fine. But I can't say that for my children's children. Who's going to do that? You and I have to do that. Who's going to make sure that there's a church where they can go to and they can hear the Word of God and they, can, they can, and they can go out and play in the streets and they can go to school and not be indoctrinated with Marxism and communism on a daily basis? Who's going to, you got to be that person. You have to be that person. You say, I don't like all this politics. Then don't read the Bible because it is the most political book you're ever going to read. Everything in that book is about politics. First government, Genesis chapter 10, Babylon, first human kingdom. Guess what? All, all through the Bible, from Genesis chapter 10 to Revelation chapter 17, we're dealing with Babylon. Guess what? What did Daniel preach about? He preached about the kings that were coming. Every single one of them. How about Pharaoh? That's pretty political. You cannot read the Bible. If you say, I don't like politics, then put your Bible away and go read something else. Because that is a political book. Well, I don't like violence on TV. Don't read your Bible, the most violent book in the world. <laughs> read Revelation. I mean, things get bad over there, amen? I'm sorry, I just got a little wound up there. Okay, here's what it says. Now, here's, what he's, here's the challenge. You call on the name of your gods. I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. How's that, a, how's that throwing down the mantle? How's that for throwing down the challenge? 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 26. And they, that is the prophets of Baal, called on the name of Baal from morning to noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice and no one answered. Now I want you to go back and read chapter 18 because it's really kind of fun what, what Elijah does here. He begins to mock them. And he says, uh, maybe you should call louder. Maybe he's gone on a journey. And then at one point he says, you know, maybe he's gone to relieve himself. In other words, your God had to go to the bathroom. No, it's really good. You don't, you don't know how fun the Bible is until so you really start reading and go, what's he saying here? And finally, they're exhausted. They've done everything they can. Baal is just quiet. He's not showing up. He's on furlough. He's gone. This God is no good. This is a bad God. So here's a couple of points just to think about in your mind. Do not fear a challenge. Fear, fear. Don't fear a challenge. You want to fall into something, fall into fear that it's going to, it's going to cripple you your whole life. If you fall into a challenge, even if you fail at it, you know you did something. We started American Faith. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even want to do it. 
They kept pushing, pushing, pushing. They said, now let's make it a news media. I don't want any. You know, it just keeps going up, and I just go. And then every time we move forward, God brings more blessings. And that was the same history of this church. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I ain't lying. You can talk to my wife. She'll verify all things here. First two years, I used to sit on that front row there and pray the Lord would come back. I said, Lord, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Why did you do this to me? You know, don't you love me, God? And, you know, and, and, you know, and you just, but you know what? Everything in life is like that. Nothing is super simple without its setbacks and hard times. You have to press through. You have to fight for everything. And God honors that because we're in partnership with God. You say, oh, I'm just going to wait on the Lord. I'm just going to sit in my house and pray and wait on the Lord. Yeah, you're going to sit in your house and do nothing, and God's not going to come through. Here's what God says. What have I given you to do? What have I given you to do? What's in your hand? Do something with what you have, and God will water it and multiply it and fertilize it, and he will bring it to fruition. Amen? I read this, uh, this headline, Mississippi Attorney General asked uh, Supreme Court of the United States to overturn Roe versus Wade. Now, let me tell you what, what struck me with that. So what, this, is, this is what this will probably mean. If it gets struck down, it'll probably push back to the state level. This is my theory, all right? I'm not a legal expert. Shocked, aren't you? Okay, it'll push back to state, and states will decide what they're going to do with abortion. I think that's going to be the first step. So you remember Ken Starr was with us here a few weeks ago, so I, I sent this article to him, and I said, Ken, any thoughts on this? He said, yes, I'm writing the brief for it right now for the Supreme Court. I'll send you my brief as soon as it's done. Let me tell you something. This attorney general in Mississippi said, we're going to do something. And apparently it had enough standing to be heard because the Supreme Court's going to hear it. I don't know about you, this is exciting. This is exciting. In the midst of all the craziness, there's also some really good news going on in our nation. Because, you know, in 1973, when Roe v. Wade somehow made it through, we didn't know much about babies. We didn't know what was going on the inside there. We just knew something happened and babies came out, right? But now we can look in and at the earliest age and we can see features and we know they, they sense pain and we, all these things, and they, they respond to sound. It's a different day, guys. And this thing needs to be overturned. Already our economy, we've been shown, our economy has already been affected by the number of people who've been aborted who are not in the workforce in America today. That's a fact. That's just a financial fact. Know what you believe. Do you know what you believe? One guy said, well, what do you believe? Well, I believe what our church believes. What does your church believe? Well, it believes what our pastor believes. And you keep going around the circle, I don't know what I believe, but I believe all that stuff. Know what you believe. Get in the Word of God and study it and read it. Say, well, I don't understand some of it. Just keep reading. It'll grow on you. And then ask God for a sign. Ask God for something tangible, that you're in the, going in the right direction. God, if I'm in the right direction, would you, would you just show me what you want me to do? Would you speak to me, God, in this situation? Look what it says, the prophetic zeal here of Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, now remember, the prophets of Baal, they failed, right? 
Then he said, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. I'm going to tell you today that some of you need to repair the altar of the Lord in your life. That place where you go before the Lord and you seek his face. You need to, you need to go back to God. 1 Kings 18, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice on the wood. Now, why is that significant? Well, number one, wet wood doesn't light very well. The second thing is it's a drought. They're three and a half years into this drought. This water they probably brought with them to survive the desert heat. They said, take the water and pour it on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And then they did it a second time. Then he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. You know, when God uses the number three in the Bible, it's not coincidental. See, three is a divine number. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God created, when he created mankind, he created us to live in a world that has time, past, present, future. All colors come out of three primary colors. When God created you, he created you body, soul, and spirit. We could go on and on and on. God is telling us something here. Maybe he was saying, let's pour it down one bucket for the Father. Let's do a second bucket for the Son. Let's do a third bucket for the Holy Spirit. Amen? You see what's going on here? And so the water uh, filled all around the altar, and he filled the trench with water. 1 Kings 18. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. You see what he did? He called on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because that's where all the promises flowed through. And we are recipients of those. That's why we call our faith a Judeo-Christian faith, because it rises up out of the Old Testament um, faith of the Jews. And then he says, hear me, O Lord, hear me. Have you ever told God to hear you? God, are you listening? Hear me, God. I'm coming to you. This is serious. I'm not playing. This is not therapeutic. I'm serious. Hear me. Hear me, O God, that the people may know. Why? What do you want them to know? Hear me, O God, that the people may know that you are God and that you have turned the hearts back to you again. You see, that has to be that the core of everything we pray, it is God, use me to lift up your name and bring people back to God. Without that, even if you have the republic and a constitution that's not threatened, it's not going to do any good. Franklin said our constitution was only made for a moral and religious people. It is not valid for any other people. You take God out of our nation and you destroy the very foundation of that Constitution. It's always God first. I don't worship our nation. I worship God. I love our nation, but I don't love it more than I love God. I love God. And I first and foremost am a citizen of heaven. Amen? And secondly of planet Earth. He says, bring them back. Then look what it says. The fire of the Lord fell. God likes to show, show up with fire. Have you ever noticed that? He did on the day of Pentecost. Tongues of fire came. He likes fire. He likes to get your attention. Everybody loves a fire. I mean, you see a fire, let's just slow down. Highway, a little, we saw a car catch on fire. 
Most interesting thing I saw. Man, I, we all slowed down to five miles an hour. Never seen like it in my life. What is that? You see, God knows there's something about that. How can you sit in front of a fire and watch it for hours? Because there's something going on there. Catch your attention. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now all the people saw it, and they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. When the fire drops in your life, you're going to say, God is God. When God gets your attention, you're going to say, God is God. When the Lord shows up, you're going to say, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. That's the Lord. We need God encounters. Amen? We need to encounter the living God and love the living God with all of our heart and our mind, our soul, and our strength. How do we do that? We do that by repairing the altar in our own life. Repair the altar. You say, what, what does that mean, Pastor? It means go back to that moment in your life and your time, if you ever did this, and just say, God, I want to honor you on a daily basis, and I want to come before you, and I want to bring you my very life. I want to offer you up to, to, you know, to be a living sacrifice, God. Repair the altar. Step out in faith. What is it you need to do to step out and trust God? What would it be? Maybe it's talk to somebody about their faith. Maybe it's really start praying those prayers that really scare you to death. Maybe it's giving up your time and giving up your resources. Maybe whatever it is, but step out in faith and then just wait for the miracle. Wait for the miracle. How long do I have to wait, Pastor? I don't know. Sometimes I see miracles happen instantly. Sometimes I'm still praying for them. Amen? I don't know the answer to that one, but I know that God wants us to wait for the miracle. I want to take you to James. I want to sum this story up from the book of James. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You know what he's saying? What God did for Elijah, God can do for you. Let me say that again. What God did for Elijah, God can do for you. See, he wasn't in a special category that, that God only answered his prayers. What God did for Elijah, God can do for you, for you. He went on to say, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, if you keep reading the story in Kings about Elijah, he said, uh, he said, you know, I, I hear a little sound, and I, there's a little cloud up there in the sky. Ahab, you better get in your chariot and go quickly, or that chariot's going to get stuck in the mud. How's that for an audacious prophet? And all of a sudden, it started to rain, and Elijah took off because he knew the word of the prophet was true. You know, what you have, you have in the word of God, you have the words of the prophets. They're true words. When you tap into them, why well, you tap into the power of Almighty God, amen? Let's stand together. I want you to pray with me, and I want you just to take a moment right now and just think about what God has spoken to you today. Just bow your head and just isolate one thing. Say, this is what I think God was speaking to me today. You got it? You got that one thing, this one thing just stands out in your heart right now, in your mind. What's that one thing God was speaking to you? You got it? If you, if you got something there, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Say, I think I got something there, Pastor. That's good. Amen. Okay. If you couldn't raise your hand yet, just say, God, I just, I really want to know what's the one thing I need to take away from this message? 
Now take that one thing right now and just offer it on the altar of the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm going I'm to offer this to you. It might be a need in your life. It might be just boldness. It might be just coming back to the Lord, whatever. Just say, God, I'm going to offer this to you right now. I'm going to restore the altar right now in this moment. Seek the Lord with all your heart. If today you don't know the Lord, would you seek him right now? Would you, would you just call on his name and pray and receive him? Let me give you a prayer that you can pray right now where you stand or sit. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to come into my life and cause me to be born again of the spirit of the living God. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead to give me the gift of eternal life. And I receive that gift by faith today and thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. That was your prayer, to say amen. To say amen right where you are. Amen. Let's sing together. And as we sing, I want you to, to take that one thing you had and just seal it during this time of worship and prayer. Okay? Let's sing.